Good morning, TBF. Merry Christmas. Very happy to be up here today to give a Christmas message, Pastor Steve asked. You know, I, I just really love this time of year, um, and I know a lot of a lot of us all do. Uh, you know, it's just my favorite time, the holidays and stuff. Uh, it makes me think about my childhood a lot. I mean, I remember Thanksgiving and Christmas with my grandparents and uh, staying up all night on New Year's Eve playing Pinochle. <laughs> And my grandpa, he just loved that game. I mean, just absolutely loved it. And and he really loved to get caught cheating too, <laughs> yeah. passing five cards or you know asking for whatever to be passed to him. You know, somehow trying to sneak it by everybody. And and if he got caught, he would just laugh so hard. And 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 he had this really high voice for a man. Um, you know, kind of, kind of like Emmett. You know, it's just really high and stuff. You know, you just laugh and you, you just couldn't help but just be happy about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I always tell everybody, you know, that I, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, but really it's Christmas. I mean, that's what really warms my heart. Thanksgiving, you know, I mean, it just fills my belly and expands my waistline. You know, but. This time of year, I mean, we get to really just sit back and just think about how much we focus on the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in His life. Well, some of my earliest memories from childhood, um, you know, they were, they were from, I remember waiting in the, the irrigation ditch next to our house. And, you know, I'd, I'd be just making mud pies or whatever. We'd be in our skivvies because we didn't have any swim trunks, you know, I mean. So, you know, or we'd, uh, a little while later, you know, we'd get in the main ditch, you know, the big ditch, and it, it, that was almost like our swimming pool, you know, right there. And, you know, we'd catch frogs or toads or uh, go screaming because we thought we saw a scorpion or something. But years later, we'd kind of figure out oh, that was just a crawdad, you know, but it looked like a scorpion to us, you know. <laughs> so, uh, my brother and I, you know, we'd, ride our BMX bikes, and, you know, they weren't actually BMX bikes per se, but uh, we'd ride them down to my grandpa's junkyard, which was just down the road about a quarter mile or so from our house, and he just had acres, like 40 acres of junk piles all over and roads that just zigzagged through there, and we would just spend hours riding our bikes through that, just having a great day. You know, if we got tired, uh, we'd just go and sit in behind one of the wheels of the junk cars he had sitting around or an old tractor or something. Just pretend we were driving, you know, just, just to pass the time away. Um, a little farther down the road was Grandma and Grandpa's farm. And we'd, we'd go down there. They had sheep and just all kinds of antique machinery and stuff, you know, that we could sit on and play and just spend the time with Grandma and just have a great day. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of material things. We didn't have, you know, boats or toys or four-wheelers, things like that too much. But, uh, you know, we, we also we didn't go on many vacations or nothing ex- unless you had called deer and elk camp vacation. And I think mom and dad probably did, uh, mom mostly because the boys were gone, you know, <laughs> so she had vacation. And, you know, and then we did because dad just loved to go out with his buddies and hunt and, you know, talk and stuff, so... It was a, a simple but a, a humble life. Well, Steve asked the elders to give a Christmas message this year. And so there were three different men um, with three different themes. But this is how God works. He takes these different messages, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
He brings it all together for one great message of hope. And that's what we get through Jesus Christ is our hope. Mike told us about the birth of Jesus, why he came to us as a little baby. And John introduced us to our King, Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1, he was so strong and mighty, and he was ready to reign and rule, but he came to us the first time humbly. Today I want to talk about those humble beginnings of Christ. Why did God, the creator of all things, I mean, the one that has the power to do anything, humble his son Jesus, by being born as a baby into a family that had no power or no prestige, wealth, or authority in the land. So I want to take a look at Jesus' beginnings. And I'm going to start with some of the early uh, prophecies that talked about the birth of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to move on to the Christmas story and the humble settings of his childhood. So the birth of Jesus Christ was prophesied hundreds of years before he came to be on this earth. 800 years before the birth of the Savior, the prophet Micah tells of the birthplace of Jesus in Micah 5.2. So let's turn to Micah 5.2. That was our scripture reading for today. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So I want to point out that Bethlehem, Ephrathah, it was not considered to be one of the strong clans of Judah. It was just a small town six or seven miles outside of, Beth, of uh, Jerusalem. And it definitely was not a large Jerusalem. We all know that some of these cities carry reputations with them, good or bad, um, such as Paris or Venice. Those are beautiful, fun cities. But also bad, you know, Hollywood or Vegas. No, no, I'm not trying to, yeah, sorry, John. <laughs> but the town of Nazareth, where Jesus' parents were from, had a reputation too. There isn't a lot known about this ancient town of Nazareth, except what's talked about in Scripture. But apparently the Jews of Jesus' time knew a little bit something about it. Uh, the disciple Nathaniel was talking to Philip when they had found the Messiah and telling him that the, the Messiah came from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? So who says there's not any humor found in the Bible, right? <laughs> So let's now turn to Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14, it's, that's another one of the messianic prophecies, guys. It was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she wasn't a princess. She wasn't a, a prominent businesswoman. Uh, she was just a young girl. She was a virgin chosen by God to give birth to the Savior of all mankind. 
Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was from the lion of King David as well as Mary, but they were both removed far from the throne. They were not people of nobility or from the ruling house of Israel. They were just normal people like us. They were living their days until that faithful day that the angel Gabriel came, paid Mary and Joseph a visit. So right here I want to turn to Luke 2. I want to read the Christmas story. Luke 2, verse 1 starts out. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things he had, they had heard and seen, which they just as they had been told. So with the prophecies, the early prophecies, we see that God had a plan in place to bring our Savior into the world. It all didn't just happen by chance. God foretold of the birthplace of Bethlehem. Well, why Bethlehem? Why such a small little town? Well, at the time Mary was due to give birth, Caesar Augustus decreed that that census be taken. Every person needed to go to their own town to register for that census. And because Joseph was from the line of David, he was required to go from Nazareth, to Galilee, uh, Nazareth of Galilee to Bethlehem with Mary. Because of this census, the inn was full. And so there was no room for Joseph or Mary. And I remember Joseph and Mary 
They weren't rich. They didn't have any prestige or hold sway over the innkeepers. And so they couldn't just buy their way in. So Mary was going to have to give birth in an animal stable. And there Jesus was born. He wasn't born in a hospital or a fancy hotel. He wasn't even born in a bed. I mean, there Mary lay in the hay, probably right next to the sheep. And he was placed in a manger, just a feed trough. There were no attendants. There wasn't even family there. The only people that came were the shepherds that had heard the angel declare that the Savior was born. Now, the shepherds of this time, they kind of held a lowly status in society. Um, and this goes back to the days of the Egyptians um, when the Hebrew people were enslaved. The Egyptians detested sheep and goats because they were a farming culture, and animals competed for and sometimes destroyed these crops. So over this 400 years of enslavement, this attitude was eventually kind of adopted by the Hebrew people. And so shepherding was held in low esteem. So why, did I, why was this significant? It's because the shepherds, these lowly shepherds, they were the first to hear of the birth of the Savior. Not the religious leaders and not the kings, but these hardworking, humble shepherds. They brought the words of the angels to Mary, and she cherished them. So why so much humility for the birth of a king? Why did God choose to bring Jesus into the world under such humble circumstances? Well, Christmas celebrates this humble birth of Jesus Christ. But it isn't just his birth we should celebrate. It's his entire life of living as a servant for us. Jesus is God, and he had the divine power of God. But he chose not to use it to his advantage. Instead, Jesus used that divine power to help those he came to save. Jesus performed all kinds of miracles throughout his ministry. He healed the sick and paralyzed, and he restored sight to the blind in more ways than one. Jesus fed thousands through the living water, and cast out demons from the possessed. Jesus raised the dead, and he calmed the storms. Jesus was God, but he came to serve mankind. There's a song that plays on the radio uh, during Christmas time, and it's called How Many Kings? I, I really love this song because it just speaks how Jesus gave up his, his divine rights to render hope to us. It asks, how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? Only one did that for me. In the mind of Jesus, he was the servant to others. They were the greatest. Jesus was obedient to God's will, which he knew would end up with his death upon a cross. During the days of the Roman occupation, death on a cross was left for some of the most despicable of the criminals. There was no honor on that cross. The death was very painful 
and usually very slow. But God chose this method to show his absolute and complete love for us. If anything, the violence of the death of God's perfect son shines truth on the truth of the dark and evil nature that we have in our hearts. But Jesus had to die by our hand in order to atone for the death that we deserve from our sins. This was the humblest act that Jesus could give. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life. But the story doesn't end there. The Father raised him up. Through his humble obedience, Jesus was exalted and was lifted up to stand at the right hand of God to give us a chance to be with the Father for eternity. Through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God gave us the most important choice to make in our lives. And it's an opportunity of a lifetime. The choice to choose to believe in Jesus as God's Son, who was sent to die to pay for our sins. But we must humble ourselves. We must accept that we are sinners and ask for the forgiveness of the Father. We must believe and have faith in the gospel of Jesus. So if you can make that choice right now, will you pray with me right now? You belong to Jesus already? Pray with me for the unsaved souls to come to our Father. Father, I know that you have sent your perfect son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin. Jesus gave us a model to imitate of how to live our lives for you and to love others. I know, Lord, that I am a sinner. Please help me to change. Please forgive me and adopt me as your child, too. So as you can see, the birth of Jesus and the reason that we celebrate Christmas is where our hope begins. But it continues in his death and resurrection. We've talked about the backstory. We've talked about the humble beginnings of Jesus. We all have the opportunity to accept Jesus and be redeemed. We have Christmas. We have Easter. So what's this mean for us who are already saved? Through humility, our Savior was born to save us from our sin that's caused by our pride. And this pride and sin entered the world through Adam, the first man. But through Jesus, the humble child, we will find our salvation. God shows us the way through the humble life of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi to instruct them on how to live by Christ's example. So let's turn to Philippians 2. Verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit 
and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in these first few verses, Paul tells the church that if we want to be like Christ, we need to think like Christ, to be of one mind. We need to have the same kind of love for others that Jesus had. We need to look out for our neighbors above ourselves. This is the kind of humility that Jesus exemplified. God gave Jesus a humble life because that is how he wants us to be. Our hope is held in our faith continually through our life, living it out daily as Christians. This really is what the Christmas spirit is all about. It's not the receiving of the gifts, but the giving to those who need it the most. It's helping out our brothers and sisters when they have no one else to turn to. Jesus had this mindset, an attitude of selflessness and servitude. And Paul instructs us to have this same attitude toward each other. We may not be able to be Christ, but we can try to act and think like him. We can try to love and serve like him. So this year I encourage you to celebrate the true spirit of Christmas. The Christ. Jesus, the baby born in a manger to a virgin mother, Jesus the condemned, hanging on a cross, who laid down his life in love for you. Jesus the risen king, with eyes of fire, a golden sash around his chest, and his face shining like the sun in all his brilliance. Jesus, our humble king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you, Father, for that humble child that came to us, Lord, to save us. Father, we ask that you just help us, God, to humble ourselves, Father, to come to you, God, be servants to each other, to love each other, God, as you have commanded. As we love ourselves, Father, help us to just be good to each other, kind, giving, caring, God, to humble us. We thank you for this time of year, God, when we come to you so often and think of the things you have given. We are so thankful for you, God. We just ask you, Lord, to bless the rest of this day, Father, the rest of this season, Lord. Help bring us all together, Father, as one family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.